Welcome to the Bold SLP Podcast. We are so happy that you're here and can't wait to share with you all of the amazing conversations we've been having. We are the co-founders of the Bold SLP Collective, and we are also your hosts, Lisa, Desi, and myself, Ingrid. Each of us has a variety of experiences in all things bilingual and bimodal speech-language pathology. You'll get to know us pretty well on here. We started this podcast to share our lived experiences, but also because we want to bring advocacy and cultural humility to the forefront of every speech therapy conversation. We hope that you'll join us each week, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Bold SLP podcast. I'm Lisa, and I'm here with Ingrid and Desi, and our beautiful guest, Drisana. Drisana, can you introduce yourself for us? Yes. Hi. Um, Thank you guys for having me. I'm such a fan of the podcast, by the way. I listen to you guys, and I feel like I've gotten to know you guys through your podcast a little bit, so that's fun. So, I am a non-traditional first-generation graduate student who has lots of previous experience as an SLPA in the field. And I, you know, as fate would have it, got accepted into graduate school finally (laughs) and moved from California to the Midwest for graduate school. And so this has been kind of a different experience for me. So it's been everything, right? It's been good and bad and a learning experience for sure. So well, thank you so much for being here. I know it's not always easy to be a student and to be asked a bunch of questions. So we really appreciate your time. Um, You mentioned that you were a non-traditional student. Can you expand on that a little bit? Um, Yeah, I discovered the program while I was an SLPA or um, when I was a student at a a city college. And um, I began the SLPA program there. And so I kind of fell in love with the field there because I got the opportunity to go out and observe a bunch of um, SLPs and SLPAs in the field and in different settings and kind of see what they did. I always loved working with children and I knew that I kind of wanted to do that, but I didn't necessarily want to be a teacher. Um, And so yeah, like my passion kind of grew there. Then I I also had an, a family member, an aunt who had ALS. And so she kind of made a lot of um, impact in my life as well, because I saw her, um, you know, start to use AAC as her, um, as her disease progressed. And so, you know, that kind of grew my passion for that kind of niche of the field. And um, so then after I finished my program there, I went and got my bachelor's in communicative disorders and sciences. And, you know, I I think I was young and for several reasons didn't have the best GPA. And it was, you know, being an SLP was always, you know, my dream and my goal. Um, But it was kind of an experience that in the end really discouraged me and kind of didn't make it seem like I could do this. Like this was a place for me, like you know, like I had a future as an SLP, like they kind of really tried to redirect me and a lot of us to um, other fields and to other choices, because it was such a competitive, like, you have to have the highest, like 3.9, 4.0, have the GRE, have the scores look like, you know, look really good on paper. And I think that was really hard. And I think that really deterred me for a long time. And, you know, it's frustrating, because I feel like, 
you kind of, it's dehumanizing in a way because you don't get like seen as a full human. You get seen as these numbers, right? And so, you know, over the years I was working as an SLPA and um, I would apply to graduate school sometimes and got several rejections. And then during the pandemic decided I would apply to this, you know, to this school. And it was actually, it was kind of a crazy experience actually, because I didn't fully finish this application for the school that I attended. And they ended up calling me and, you know, they were like, Hey, we saw that you started this application are you still interested? We're still accepting applicants. And we just wanted to reach out. And I was like, that was the weirdest experience I've ever had. Like, I've never gotten a phone call from a a graduate program, good or bad. And so I was like, okay, this sounds too good to be true. Like, this sounds like, okay, maybe I should do this because this never happens. So I went ahead and applied and interviewed and was accepted and made the crazy decision to move across the country for graduate school because why not? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a it, it's been a tough experience really. You know, it's been kind of an isolating and um kind of a lonely experience in a lot of ways because the I I'm the only bilingual one in my program, the only one the only latina I should say. And so, you know, there's a certain aspect of othering. And then there's also, you know, it's kind of a combination because I also don't look too different than they do, right? Like, um, but I do, I have a different experience than they do, like culturally. And so that's kind of brought a lot of challenges. Grad school is isolating. I think that's one of the things that nobody really prepares you for. So much of your time is expected to be alone and then to have an othering experience and within an experience that's already othering and isolating is, is overwhelming. I mean, I, I remember that at different points in my graduate program and what a really cool way of getting into graduate school. That's amazing. And I, it's, it's also really fascinating. I live in a really rural state and I know that sometimes in the graduate program that we have here, they also, you know, their recruitment efforts just look different. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that they saw the value in having somebody like you who's been dedicated to this field for so long. Um, And it's really awesome that they made that connection. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a very rural state here too. And um, yeah, it's, I will say like one of the first kind of like, hmm, that's weird kind of experience that I had um, that I will share is like in my first semester, we had started a clinic and I had a client. Um, it was a little girl. And, you know, when I met her, her mom, you know, we met and she, you know, she was like pointing me out to her. And she was like, look, you know, she has black hair, like so-and-so. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Okay. Like it just struck me like, I just, I was like, wow, that's, that's a thing to point out here, you know? So it kind of told me a lot about the culture right off the bat in that way, you know? The fact that you have black hair is such a huge, (laughs) such a huge difference from the place that you were. Um, All of us on the podcast. I know, I'm looking at every single one on the screen. (laughs) We all have black hair. That's what I was trying to tell our our listeners. (laughs) I, I would, I just wanted to go back to, um, all of the things you were listing out, I was like, is this girl sharing my exact story? And I think a lot of us have similar points that you mentioned. 
Like you wanted to work with kids, but you didn't want to be a teacher. Some of us started out as teachers and then decided we want to work with kids, but in a different way. Then you uh, kind of went deeper into the field, like through ALS. And for me, it was like the deaf community. But there's like someone in our lives, either a sibling or a cousin or someone that we know that has been through speech. And you're like, huh, this is something. And then not the best grades or not feeling good enough to be in the field. Like what? It's just... It seems so intentional. It seems so gatekept. It seems like there's a voice that's telling us you're not good enough for this. You shouldn't be here. And it's always some of us that hear that voice, but not all, all of us. So who are those people hearing that voice? Just, yeah. But the, your your acceptance into grad school is incredible. Who calls a half done application to say, hey, do you want to finish this off? I That's the coolest thing. Like if anything that should tell you that, you're meant to be in this field, just that alone. My husband jokes about being shoulder tapped. Like he has coworkers that have been shoulder tapped for jobs, no application, no nothing, just, and it's always white people. You know, he's like, I never been shoulder tapped. Sometimes I apply to things I'm overqualified and they're like, sorry, no. So I like that. That felt a little bit like a semblance of a shoulder tap that someone called you. And I'm, and I'm so happy for you that that happened. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely felt like it was meant to be like, it was like the universe's way of like saying, go for this open door. Like I'm just opening this door. You just to step through it. And it's, yeah. So in your isolating, in your, in your feelings of isolation, if you experienced any culture shock in, in the place where you were? Um, yes, there was huge culture shock. Um, I think in every aspect of my life. I mean, first of all, I was isolated. I was away from my community of family and friends. I was kind of dropped into this new rural community where it's like a lot of sameness. There's a lot, there's a, you know, there's just like a sprinkling of, you know, more diversity, but like, it's really a lot of whiteness, which I didn't, it's strange because it's like, you don't realize what a difference it is until you experience it. I feel like that, like, I didn't realize that, like, I was like, oh, yeah, like, back home in California, there's, like, there's so much, you know, I can go and, like, I'll speak to Spanish, you know, I'll speak Spanish to, you know, somebody at the store, or, like, you know, there's so many opportunities, like, to connect with people culturally, and here, I was like, okay, so this is just different, like, I I felt like I couldn't connect in any way to anybody culturally with my you know latinidad or um so there was that um and then I'm also because I'm kind of a non-traditional student I'm older than a lot of the students in my cohort who kind of went went straight through high school to college to grad school um and they were like you know in their early 20s and I think um with that and with like a lot of the sameness there's uh there's like a complacency I feel like with the status quo with what is there's like a comfortability right like you're comfortable with what is with what you know with the same culture because you don't really step out to experience or be curious about other cultures and so um there's kind of like that, which kind of creates this uncomfortability with differences um, and like these implicit biases. And you think like um, you have these preconceived notions be- because you don't really know, right? Like you you've, you, have ideas based on your 
your own perception of your own culture and what is normal. Um, and so it's it's very interesting. It's like it's like an echo chamber. I mean, it's really yeah. what you're saying actually speaks to my experience too in graduate school. Um, I was late 20s, early 30s when I did graduate school. I can't even remember anymore. Sorry. But, um, you know, I was thinking when you said that I will, even though I can't remember exact dates or times, I do remember feeling the same way that you felt feeling that I was definitely other for my age, for my ethnicity, for my background, for being bilingual. I mean, there were so many things that, you know, you could just plop me in like a different box. And I know that whenever I push back on something that was a very common idea, or I kind of express interest in like other things that were not related to what my cohort was interested in. It was almost controversial. And I mean, I didn't care, but, <laughs> and I, you know, I didn't, and I didn't care for a lot of different reasons, but I think there's something that comes with maturity and interests in other cultures, like that combination in a person who's older in a graduate program, um, you know, I think it leads to some total, you know, not, I wouldn't say misunderstandings, but like almost like opportunities for misunderstanding with younger um, cohort mates who just don't have that world experience. Um, so that really, that really speaks to me what you're saying, because I will never forget moments where I was like, oh, you're 22. <laughs> oh, you, you live in Georgia and you haven't really left very much, have you? Um, not, and not to be demeaning, but it, it really, it really felt that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. Yes. And yeah, no, not in a demeaning way, but it is the reality of a lot of people, right? Like a lot of people here have grown up here, have lived here, will always live here, have no interest in going anywhere else. And there is a lot of, um, yeah, there's like a, a lack of just curiosity about the world, right? Because you're like, this is what I know. This is cool. Like, I've got people here, right? So yeah, it's kind of a disservice, right? Like, at the same time, it's very interesting because there's this almost a separation because here there's also a lot of Native Americans. Like there's a lot of Native American population, but there's almost this like separation. And it's really hard too, because I feel like I have this underlying passion that's grown with my, as I've matured, I've as I've learned, as I've become curious, um, as I've grown in self-awareness, I, I have this kind of passion for advocacy in me. And, you know, I feel like I have showed up, shown up and shown that in, in this program in grad school. And kind of like you were saying, Desi, like, I, I get that it makes people uncomfortable. I get that it's different. It's othering. Like, you don't see, you know, like, it just doesn't feel like home. Like, it can be difficult to be your whole self um, in these spaces. And also, you see that there's a lot of overt and covert, you know, racism, prejudices, discrimination in people's opinions and um, experiences of, I've, you know, had, I've heard people say like, oh, they don't want to work with um, 
Native American population or on like a reservation school or things like that very overtly. And I'm like, wow, it's kind of that culture that you feel so comfortable just saying that. So those kind of things are even shocking. I was going to add, you know, Ingrid and I also live in states um, and, and in areas where there are reservations and, um, you know, here uh, for me locally, I, I used to work in home health and I did a lot of treatment um, with the native people who live on Indian Island, um, which is uh, only a few miles from here. And it's, it's like you said, there's almost like some self-segregation that happens too out of a desire to protect your culture and your identity and your people. Um, and I think that, yeah, sometimes with our programs our in speech pathology, breaking down those cultural barriers or, you know, bridging a gap between those two cultures. So I, you know, I applaud you for trying to do that in graduate school. It's not an easy feat. Yeah, it's just kind of stepping into uncomfortability over and over again. And it doesn't necessarily get better, but I feel like you get more comfortable in your skin, right? Like you get, you're like, okay, this is my conviction. Like, this is what I believe. Like, this is, you have this knowing about what, what is right, right? And just like fighting for humanity in a sense. So yeah, and maybe like what they need is to make somebody uncomfortable, right? Or, or to feel uncomfortable in a sense, you know, like maybe that's, Mm-hmm. not maybe but that is kind of what makes us think and grow right like not having anybody ever question or or have a different perspective doesn't do us any, any good like any of us right so yeah I mean I think I think it was kind of meant to be for me to be you know have this door opened for this program and as hard as it's been the last two years I feel like it's been good for them too, right? And I feel like, you know, I have had a professor that I kind of was um, in some ways like uh, impressed with because, you know, in this culture, like she did kind of step out of her comfort zone a little bit and have those conversations a little bit about race, about bias, implicit bias, and about, you know, white privilege as much as it was uncomfortable. And um, I remember writing this like reflection assignment and kind of talking about my experience and how, you know, that I'd had a hard time getting into grad school and that, you know, it was finally, you know, I had the opportunity to attend and kind of feeling like I didn't belong and getting these, this feedback from professors or people that were in positions of power. And she responded with this very kind video about, you know, kind of, I was really surprised and really kind of touched because she was like, you belong here. You're a great student. We're happy to have you. Like, you know, and I was like, wow, that's, I mean, she didn't have to do that. And so, you know, just little experiences like that, like there's good and bad, but I feel like those little moments kept me going too. And also like just life experience, right? Like I knew this was going to be hard. I didn't, like I couldn't have known exactly what it was going to be, but it was temporary. And I knew that I could just do the next right thing, put one foot into the, in front of the other. Yeah, it, it was incredibly hard, but I feel like I've grown and I've learned and I've, I've learned more about who I am and what I want and who I want to be um, and what I want to create and what I don't want to be a part of and things like that. So 
I don't think you realize how impressive you are. <laughs> I have so much to say. I was 22 in grad school and I did get swept a little bit into that perfectionism and I had the scores and I had the GREs. Like I got swept away into that perfectionism probably when I was 15. Like if I'm real, just like straight A's, got to get the GREs, got to get, you know, you're the firstborn. Uh, I've told the story before with Lisa, we were laughing, like me going to grad school and not to medical school was a disappointment. This was like a step down from the expectations that were my trajectory. Um, so I see that the side of me as well, but I think about your experience and how much better mine would have been if I were like this age and going into grad school as opposed to sitting there and taking it all in and just like not knowing what to call any of these things that I was experiencing. Um, so I think you're so inspirational. Um, but I was thinking too, um, I had a glimmer. So you have a whole door open to like what this field is. And I had that first glimmer and I feel like that's a lot of anything anybody needs. And I tell this story all the time about assessment class when they had you test a kid and you crack open that manual. And I went and found a neighbor of mine who was Spanish speaking, little girl, bilingual Spanish English speaker. And I realized she's nowhere on this test. What am I supposed to do? I got into this field to help kids like that. Mm -hmm. And you're telling me I'm paying you to teach me all these things about statistics and how tests are made. And you have not a single one that would help me diagnose a kid like that, let alone a kid who's deaf, let alone a kid who speaks a Native American language. Like, they're nowhere. And that was my glimmer. This this field is not what I thought it was. And I think that's all the your cohort or people like you're describing need. And it's so important what you're saying, like to make space for those conversations. So I think you need to give yourself a lot of credit for being brave and talking about these things. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think that I would have the opportunity to use my Spanish skills here because I was like, okay, moving to the Midwest. I just don't, I don't really think it'll happen, but I was actually really surprised that I had the opportunity to work with this monolingual Spanish speaking adult who had a stroke and he lived in an even smaller town than than I do and rural community and just had this incredibly unjust experience where he went kind of untreated all day because they wouldn't transfer him to get the care that he needed while he was having a stroke and so and and didn't really receive speech therapy afterwards and so him coming to the university clinic and having the opportunity to work with him and to assess him was quite an experience, especially as like having these supervisors who like nobody speaks Spanish and they don't know what I'm doing or saying. Like, it's just, it's so interesting. And then also trying to figure out like, like you were saying, Ingrid, a, an assessment, an assessment tool that would be appropriate for him. And, you know, there, there's not a perfect one. And so like kind of just trying to put pieces together and build kind of a, a plan for him. And yeah, it's just, and just 
I mean, I don't know. It makes me sad that like he had to go through that and that there isn't an opportunity for a Spanish speaker or somebody who's bilingual or, you know, to, to receive appropriate services and to, to get the care that they need um, in places like this. So I have a question that we didn't plan on, so we can cut it if you don't want answers, but would you do it over again if you had the chance? Um, yes, a hundred percent because I feel like all of us. Yeah. But I haven't heard a single person who's like, no, I regret. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like, um, it's opened the door, right? Like it's opened the door and giving me opportunities that I didn't have. Right. And so this is just like a beginning experience as hard as it's been. Um, I have maybe some life experience to kind of help, kind of remind me of my why and to keep me on this course and I also have a great therapist so there's that um (laughs) but um it's definitely worth it and yeah I mean we'll see what the future holds but I'm glad I'm glad I'm I'm here now and you know I'm just a couple weeks from graduation so it's kind of surreal and I feel like as a first generation student and you know this is this is my dream. This is my goal. This is something I've done for myself. And at the same time, I've done it just as much for my parents and for my family. Like they're just as excited. We love therapy. (laughs) The would you do it over question and always like kind of stumps me because the truth is there's so much we have to unlearn from the things that we did in school, but nobody would take our voices seriously if we didn't have that degree to Mm -hmm. back it up. Like, who are you? Oh, I'm a speech and language pathologist. Like, you have to say it. And then they'll be like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you you had mentioned at one point, um, some people just not questioning their own ideas, you know, not even thinking that maybe I'm wrong about this, or maybe there's a little more to life than I've been taught. And um, I remember, because you also mentioned that, you know, you're white passing, um, I guess in some arenas. But for me, I'm, I guess on the, light-skinned side of Sri Lankans so when I was with my crew I was like the light skin like the white one you know and then I'm dropped in this white school where I'm like the darkest person (laughs) and when you're there in a very white setting that's when you feel really different and like I knew that they were joking when I was with my friends and they would call me white or whatever but this was not a joke this is like you are not one of us and you don't People don't say the words oh, like so boldly like that, but it's just that feeling, you know, yeah. and that isolation. Yeah, that isolation you're referring to, I don't, I can't really relate to that part because I found a gospel choir like the second I went to grad school. And I don't know how I would have survived without my gospel singing friends. Like that was my community. Whenever I came back to the grad room, I was like, how do you guys survive? Like, they were all asking me, how do you have time to sing? And how do you, like, there was so much work. And in my mind, I'm like, I would die without music. I'm very community-based and I know you are too. So to be dropped in a place where community is not at the forefront, which is mind-blowing because the work that we do should be community-based and should be inclusive. So I'm very, very sorry that you had that experience and I'm proud of you for making it all the way to the end. Thank you. Yeah, literally, I think you lived my dream. I literally wanted to be a part of a choir so much because like I remember in my voice class, my professor had this like, 
voice expert come and she came and, you know, um, did these like voice exercises with us and um, like the singing exercises, vocal exercises, um, and like how to stand up and do that. And I was like, I grew up being in, in choir and I mean, I'm not like a singer, but I just enjoy it. Right. Like, it's just fun. And I just was like, oh my gosh, I want to do this. Like I just, you know, and so I think that's awesome that you found that community in choir and it just wasn't really a, an opportunity or something that I saw here. But I think, um, I think that, um, you know, it's so meaningful. So I think I love that you, that you found that uh, choir for yourself. Well, I'm hoping when you get into the field, which is v- very soon, know that your whole identity can't be wrapped up just in the work, right? Find the things that you love, find the people that you love, start a podcast if you need to, just find the people that that are like-minded and have that same heart for advocacy that you have. You might not find it in the in the workplace. You might, I mean, you might be in a very great place, but more likely than not, we're all on little islands here because it's like a slow moving um, thing to try to get everyone on board with with what we're trying to do here. It's just being inclusive and respectful. Like we're not doing something so out of the ordinary, but people don't want to question their ideas. Yeah, absolutely. We're just about wrapping up. So I hope people have their their final words ready. I wrote it down. It's a phrase as usual. Sorry. I just really latched on Drisenna um, when you said how it made you feel whenever they would just look at the numbers on your application instead of, you know, you didn't feel like a full human. And, you know, I already shared, like, I was a robot student, like on paper, I looked perfect. And I did fine in grad school and I achieved, but I probably could have used to have a lot more experience in the field. I didn't know anything about speech therapy when I got into grad school. So they didn't see my full humanity for sure. But I I wrote down, imagine if we had more people like you, more full humans in our field. Like maybe that's what we need. Mm -hmm. So what's the last word for that? (laughs) Less GRE, more humanity. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's what came through my mind. I'm like, um, if things hadn't changed, we would be missing out on someone like you. We would be missing out on having the opportunity of meeting you and be having you as our peer. And that is just a shame. And then I wonder how many are sitting there like you being told, no, go be something else. And and I'm like, imagine if that didn't happen. If we just had more full humans coming into this field, maybe we'd be in a much better place. Less GRE, more humanity. Oh my gosh, we could top that. I love that. I look at you, Jasana, and I think of someone who's who's growing and learning. So that those are my my two words, growing and learning. I think what stood out to me about this conversation is talking about maturity, but talking more importantly about curiosity. And I think curiosity is something that could take our field in so many wonderful directions, culturally responsive directions even. Um, So I think that that's what I'm, what's really settled in my mind from this conversation. So I am excited to hear that we're getting a new curious colleague very soon in a few weeks. Um, And I hope that this episode inspires other people to be curious as well. You know, I think mine... I guess I have kind of two. One is community and the other is relational. I think 
I'm such a relational person who, as you said, likes community, like craves community, gravitates towards community. And um, I have this kind of really cool experience with one of the adult clients that I'm currently seeing where, um, you know, I think, so I'm, I'm in a skilled nursing facility and um, my supervisor, you know, had said like, sometimes this client kind of tends to spiral, tends to get kind of like um, anxious and um, negative in a sense. And so this was an older man and, you know, he's recently lost his son and, you know, she was like, don't bring it up or whatever. And so I was like, okay, I gave it some time. And then um, I was thinking about things to do with him. And I thought about these podca podcasts, right. And I was like, oh, that would be good because he does good, like listening. And he's really kind of connects to that. And so I found this like short, like Ted talk, uh, podcast and he's also he was like a musician and so that was kind of cool and so it was about like using music to heal after a loss or something like that so I was like oh that would be perfect it was a short really little um podcast and so I played it the other day with him and you know I was we were listening to it I'd pause it I'd be like okay are you are you listening like what are you hearing and and then, you know, we'd keep listening and um, it was just really cool because it was this podcast that I felt like I connected with him through. And it was kind of like this man talking about the loss of his mother and then how music, he played like the cello and how that got him through it. And he played the cello and like took us through this like meditative thing. And it was really cool. And so at the end of this podcast, my client kind of got emotional and he was just like, I was like, how was that? And he was like, kind of really tearful and he was like you picked that out for me you know and I was like yeah I you know I thought it would be a really good one for you and I was like did you like it and he was like yeah it was really good and I was like oh my gosh so that was really like a touching relational moment where I was like I feel like that is the basis that I want to of the one of the kind of clinician that I want to be like I want to be kind of founded on relationship right like on building that connection um, not undenying parts of their humanity or like things that they struggle with right so I think that kind of was really a cool moment that I had that reminded me of like I I'm relational and that's good to strength so thank you so much thank you so much oh my gosh thank you I appreciate it we have some really exciting news for you today our course is officially launching in June of 2023, just in a few short weeks. If you haven't heard, we've been working on a course. The three of us together here at the Bold SLP podcast, Lisa, Desi, and myself, Ingrid. We are very excited to share it with you this summer. We want to be in community with the SLPs, students, other professionals who sign up and just really work at understanding the limitations of traditional evaluation methods dig deeper into how to respectfully work with clients who come from different backgrounds than us who don't share our lived experiences so we're really going to focus our attention on solutions and strategies to prevent harm in bilingual and multicultural evaluations and we hope to see you there Thank you for listening and supporting the Bold SLP Collective. You can find a closed captioned version of this podcast on our YouTube channel. We will also have show notes on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do all the podcast things. Follow, subscribe, download, and review. 
And don't forget, we love hearing from you. So connect with us on Instagram at the Bold SLP Collective. Stay bold and humble. See you next time.